Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Well, hey, what's up, 11 a.m.? How you guys doing? Hey, welcome to church today. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, hey, we're doing an experiment this morning. We are uh, streaming live on Facebook Live right now. So let's clap for everyone who's with us online. This, this final talk of the grind I have entitled Payday. And uh, I don't know if you can remember your first payday. My first job was uh, working at a car wash. And I remember I worked my first two weeks straight. And so I was really excited about my first paycheck. And I remember getting the envelope and it looked really official. And I opened it up and tore open the check. And there it was, $283. And I was like, I thought it'd be a little bit more than that, right? You always expect your first paycheck to be more than it was. But it started me on this journey of wanting more, of wanting to work more, uh, wanting to make more money. And uh, that's what most people are driven by, is, is getting a paycheck. Uh, we all want a good paycheck for what we do. Uh, but here's the thing. We're, we've been asking a question throughout this series. Why do you do what you do? What is the why behind your job? Most of us can, can, can tell you what we do, but we oftentimes don't know why we do it. Do you know why you do what you do? And, and why are we here as a church? You need to know ACF Church, we exist for weekends like Easter weekend. We exist for the people that aren't here yet. We exist for the empty seats in the room, for those that don't know Jesus. And, and maybe that's different for you, depending on your church background. Maybe you think churches exist to get comfortable with each other and to start little small groups and, you know, kind of hang out and huddle up and just hope for heaven. But really, we as a church, we believe that we're here with a mission and a purpose. And so I had planned out what I'm going to talk about today, and I'm going to get there but I, I feel like God kind of uh, laid a verse on my heart to share with you as we start off this, this conversation. And it's, it's in Matthew 28, uh, chapter 28, verse 18, and it's known as the Great Commission. This is literally the last thing Jesus tells his disciples before he ascends into heaven. And, and if you don't know kind of the scene, Jesus has been crucified. He's been put in a grave. He was dead for three days, and then he was resurrected. And so now Jesus is alive and he's going around and people are seeing him. And there are eyewitnesses seeing that Jesus is alive. And now here he is with his disciples and they're on this mountaintop. And, and he, I just imagine this moment, Jesus is like, I've got one last sermon. I've got one last thing to say to these people. What am I going to say that's really going to matter, that, that, that really is going to be what they need to hear, that's going to drive them forward as, as the church begins to explode? What do they need to hear? And so he comes up with this. This is what he says in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so he starts off by giving his credentials. Essentially, Jesus says, here's who I am. I have all the authority on, on, on heaven and on earth. You need to know what I'm going to say is a big deal. I mean, you know when Jesus has to give his credentials that, that he is trying to tell you something really big. This is going to be huge. And, and I just think in this moment, these, these disciples, when they're, they're looking at Jesus, they're nodding their heads like, yep, you have authority because we just saw you die and now you're right in front of us. 
and we can, we can feel you, we can talk with you. We just saw you die and now you're alive. That gives you authority, right? If one of your friends died and now they're walking around, you'd be like, tell me what you have to say. What was that like, right? So Jesus is like, I have something really important to tell you. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So this is really interesting. Jesus, what he wants to tell them is to go. To go therefore. Now, when, when you actually translate this, go therefore simply means as you go. So while you are going, make disciples. A, dis- a disciple, if you don't know what a dis- disciple is, a disciple is an apprentice or a learner. Uh, if you've ever been in a, an apprenticeship or an internship, you know what a disciple is. It's somebody who's learning from the master, somebody who's better at doing one thing or another. Jesus says, I want you to, as you go, make disciples. And so we, when we read this verse, we always think of missionaries, right? We think of somebody who's gone overseas. We think, if I'm going to be a great commission Christian, that means that I need to leave what I'm currently doing and go do something else, you know, something more spiritual. And Jesus isn't saying that. He's saying, as you go, because you're going to be going somewhere, as you go to your job, as you go to, uh, to play and, and to enjoy the place that you live in, I want you to go and I want you to make disciples. I want you to make apprentices. I want people to be watching you and learning from you and growing as they do that. And then he says, disciples of all nations. The word nation is actually translated as the word we get ethnicities. And so he's not telling them, I need you to go to a certain location. When we read this, we think of nations, we think of geography. We think, okay, get on a boat, get on an airplane and go to the nations. But what Jesus is saying here is not necessarily that you need to go anywhere else. I just want you to reach people who are different than you, of different ethnicities, different backgrounds. I want you to reach the person that is different from you. If you're a Christian, that means anybody else in the world. For them, they would have thought of the Gentiles. There was God's chosen people and then everybody else. And he's saying, all those everybody else people, I want you to reach them. The person who's different, the person who's broken, the person from a different background than you, the refugee, the discarded. I want you to reach those people, disciples of all nations. And he says, I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Essentially, he's saying, when you go and do this, when you live this life, you walk through life making disciples, some of them are going to get it. And when they get it, they're going to need to get baptized. They're going to need to go public with their faith. So a couple weeks ago, we did baptism as a church. At Easter, we're going to offer a chance for people to get baptized. And so this is so key. You're going to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then this is so interesting. He says, then teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. So it's so interesting to me that he he says, go and make disciples. Oh, and by the way, you may have to teach them some things. That he separates that, not just go and make disciples, which means just go start small groups, you know? Just go get together with your Christian friends and start a little Bible study and and make each other feel better, you know, and learn a lot of great theology. Don't just do that. Get together with Christians, but also get together with people who don't believe what you believe and rub shoulders with them and spend time with them. And then you're going to baptize them. Oh, and you might have to actually teach them. You might have to open your mouth and talk about where your hope comes from. They might need some doctrine and some theology so that then they can make disciples. So you see, the teaching is only a portion of discipleship. Uh, For me, I grew up in a Baptist church. It was, you know, we had Sunday school and and that was like a lot of teaching. And most of the things that I went to, to, to be a part of were all about learning doctrine, learning theology. 
Discipleship is so much greater than that. It's about being with the people that you always live life with, but doing it on purpose. And Jesus is like, as you go, make disciples of all nations. So I love this. Are you behind that? Right, that's a good thing to do, right? Okay, so we're making disciples. It's a good thing to do. Uh, here's the problem with the Great Commission. Um, I think we always feel like it's somebody else's job. I think we do. So as a pastor, I'm just going to confess to you, um, pastors sometimes don't do the best job of fulfilling the Great Commission. Here's, here's my excuse that I've had over the years. My job is to equip you guys to go and fulfill the Great Commission. Like, you guys go be the church. You guys go reach your neighbors. I'm just going to reach you and then let you do the work, right? That's great leadership, right? I'm not going to model it. I'm just going to let you guys reach out to your friends. And, and, and you got to understand, like, it, of course it's a little bit hard. Most of the people that I work with are Christians. We're not sure about Pastor Josh, but most of them are believers. And that's going to make it more difficult, right, to at the workplace be like, I'm, I'm evangelizing Pastor Stewart, you know? I don't know. How does that work? So that means that I need to do something different. I need to get outside of my normal workplace to actually tell people about Jesus that haven't heard about him. And so what pastors sometimes think is, I'm equipping the church to go and evangelize the world. You guys are going to go out of here healthy. You're going to go evangelize. You're gonna which evangelism simply means a, a herald of the good news. Somebody who's sharing that there is good news, that Jesus is alive and he will change your life. And so by the way that you live, you're going to go and do that. Here's the problem. Then you go out, and, and, and maybe this isn't you, but maybe it is, where you, you might invite a friend to church one time. And they didn't show up, and so you're like, well, how am I going to evangelize them if they don't get to hear the gospel? That's my pastor's job. And, and so if somebody doesn't get to church, then you kind of give up on evangelism, but you're just hoping that maybe the pastor is the one that is telling people about Jesus. You guys, listen, I am one voice and one life. But think of thousands of people who are living missional lifestyles in their workplaces. Thousands of people who know that by the way that you live, people are seeing Jesus. Think of the impact of that. That is multiplication. That is a great commission. And that's what we're intended to do. A, a friend of mine, he's a paramedic. And uh, he was telling me this week about how they were flying like across the state to go save this, uh, this family who is like lost in the woods. And he's just always flying around to do things like that. And, and I was thinking, you know, like he kind of has jurisdiction outside of our local community. Like that's really where he's supposed to go. And I'm just thinking, what would happen if like they're all hanging out in the break room waiting for a phone call and like the lady at the desk starts choking? And one of them's like, hey, did you know that, you know, this lady's choking out front? And they're like, yeah, that's not really our authority, right? Like, our jurisdiction is the greater state of Alaska. And somebody's like, we should probably do something about the lady at the desk. I don't know. Maybe we should get in groups and talk about CPR, right? Maybe we should learn the theology of CPR and talk about how CPR is a really good thing. And, and we're going to really understand CPR so that when somebody across the ends of the state needs us, we're going to go and help them. And so the lady's on the ground, she's choking, right? I mean, just imagine what that would be like. And this is how I feel like the Great Commission is for a lot of people. No, when we go to the ends of the earth, that's when we're going to fulfill the Great Commission. Like when I decide finally to move to Africa or, you know, to go to that, that job that's a long ways away, then I'll go and make disciples. While the whole time people in our neighborhoods are desperately in need of help. People in your workplaces are desperately in need of the gospel. Good news. Good news. So, I feel like we need to start there, then to talk about 
our, our payday. What is our payday as Christians? I believe our payday is when somebody gets it. Our payday church is when somebody gets dunked in the tank, right? And we cheer and we clap as a church because that's the best. It's the best when somebody actually gets it. And so that is our payday. I don't know if you know this, but the word vocation is actually where we get the word calling. The word vocation is a Latin word where we get the word calling. And I don't, I don't know if you feel called to what you do. You're like, I work at Starbucks, you know, is that my calling? It may be. I want you to know this, that wherever you are, you are called where you are. Think about it. Wherever you are, you are called to where you are. You may hate your job. You may wish you could get a different job. You maybe want to be somewhere else. But I think every Christian, if you're a believer here today, that you have been called by this last message that Jesus gave to go and make disciples. So wherever you are, you are called. 1 Corinthians 7, 17 says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Essentially saying, you need to live the life that God gave you. Now you can have dreams and you can hope for different things and different jobs and positions and stuff, but you need to live called right where you are. You may have a secondary calling. You may feel a burden in your heart for a certain location or a certain state or a certain ethnicity or people group, and that is awesome. I mean, that's why we are sending people to Czech Republic and we are going to the ends of the earth. If you didn't know this, we are part of what's called the Christian and Missionary Alliance, which means that we have missionaries globally, uh, 70 countries, 700 plus missionaries uh, globally that we support. But you guys, we cannot go to the nations at the neglect of the neighborhoods. We cannot. We cannot miss out on our neighbors, the people right next door that God has called us to. Colossians 3.17 says, in whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. He's saying, I don't know what you're doing. Like, I don't know if you're hauling trash for a living. I, I, I don't know if you're making lattes for a living. I don't know if you are raising children for your, your job. I don't know if that's what you do, but whatever you do, do it in the name of Jesus. And when you do, you're going to be on mission and you're going to have a purpose in that job. So, to talk about where we want to go this morning, to talk about our mission, like a real payday, I'm going to bounce around a lot. So if you're kind of ADD, uh, this is the sermon for you. This is going to be great because I'm going to be all over the place. And so I want you to open up uh, to the book of Malachi chapter three. So to talk about our mission, I'm going to talk about three things. I'm going to talk about robbery, incense, and evangelism. Robbery, incense, in evangelism. So the first thing is robbery. Malachi 3, and this is a passage, normally this is the money sermon, and uh, we're going to get there, and I, I promise this connects. If you're like, I picked the wrong week to go to church, just, just stick with me here. Malachi 3, verse 8 says this, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? So this is, the, the, he's speaking to the people of God and he's saying, will a man rob God? That's a great question. Will a man rob God? But you're robbing me. Okay, so, so they're robbing them. What are they robbing God from? Their tithes and contributions. So God's people were told to give their first and their best 10% of all that they made, all of their goods and all of their money to support the mission of the local church. And yet they weren't doing that. 
And so there's tithes, then there's contributions, which are above and beyond the tithe. For us, it's our next step campaign. This is uh, our, our campaign to raise money to, to rebuild our church and to expand our facility because we're kind of running out of room, if you haven't noticed that. And so that's a contribution above and beyond the tithe. So will a man rob God? Yes, they're robbing God by their tithes and contributions. It says, you are cursed with a curse. It's kind of bad news. For you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Verse 11, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine and the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. So I was reading this and I'm like, how can you rob God? I mean, just think about that. Like what would it look like to actually rob the creator of all things? So a friend of mine uh, was, a, was a pastor's kid and, and his dad was getting a little bit older and uh, this is probably... I don't know, maybe 15 years ago, and I'll never forget this interaction that I had with his dad. So his dad calls me up, and, uh, and he couldn't work on his truck anymore, and he couldn't, couldn't get it running, and, and so he's just getting a little bit older, and I knew it frustrated him that he couldn't work on his stuff, and he's like, hey, Brian, can you come uh, work on my pickup? I just need a little bit of help, and I was like, sure, absolutely, I'll go give you a hand, and so showed up at his house. He's got this old 83 Ford pickup. It's in pretty rough shape, and it wouldn't start, and so I worked on it for a couple hours, and I got it running, so uh, shut the truck off. I walk inside with the keys, and uh, there's this man. And he's like, hey, how'd it go? And I said, well, I got it running. It's good to go. You should be, you should be fine now. So then he starts reaching around for his wallet, right? He starts pulling, and I'm like, no. And he's like, what? And I'm like, no, you won't. And he starts like pulling dollar bills out of his wallet. And I'm like, there ain't no way you're going to pay me for working on your truck. I mean, it was a blessing that, you know, that I could work on your pickup. And I will never forget this man and, and what he said in this moment. He looked me straight in the eyes with the most serious face. And he said, you will not rob me of an opportunity to bless you. And I was like, okay, busted. That's fine. <laughs> I'll take the 20 bucks, right? He gives me 20 bucks and I walked off and I'm like, okay, uh, lesson learned, right? Lesson learned. I was unwilling to receive blessing from this man. I'm like, no, 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 I'll do it, I'll do it. I'll take, I'll take care of it. He's like, you will not rob me of the joy of blessing you. You have, you have helped me. So that's what's going on in this passage of, uh, in Malachi is God is looking at his people and he's like, you're not robbing me of money. You need to know this. You can't rob God of money. It's, God's not like a beggar on a street corner, like, guys, would you just tithe so I can get the mission done, right? The church is never going to be what it's going to be if you guys can't tithe, right? That's not God, right? He's not whining, like, just give me your money so I can do what I want to do. I mean, God, he's the, he's the one that keeps your heart beating. He's the one that puts breath in your lungs. He's the one that created the moon and the stars and the universe and the world that we live in, the mountains that we look at outside of these doors. That's the God that we're talking about. You're not taking away the stuff that he created from him as the creator. What you're robbing him from is an opportunity to bless you. So you're like, how does this connect to evangelism? When you're at your job, I believe that you're going to be put in situations where you're going to have to choose between productivity and people. And you won't be able to do both. 
Like you will have to choose. Will I be productive? Will I get the raise? Will I be the boss's favorite? Will I be the one that works his fingers to the bone and and get all of the accolades or will I love people? Now, if you're anything like me, I don't like, to, I don't like the choice. I don't like to give up anything. I want to be in a position where I can love people and put people first and also get the paycheck. But if you have a pen, I want you to grab it and I want you to write this down. God gave you a job for the people, not just the paycheck. God gave you a job for the people, not just the paycheck. So what's going to have to happen, if if you want to be somebody who takes the last words of Jesus seriously, is you're going to have to be willing to give something up to be on mission. That you're going to have to be willing to maybe even put the paycheck aside a little bit to care for the people. And it may not feel productive and it may not feel like what people are asking of you, but you know if your payday is seeing somebody get it, somebody understand grace for the first time, that you're going to sacrifice whatever it takes, even if it be your position to care for the people instead of the paycheck. So what is that for you today? What is it that you can give up? Where have you been putting the paycheck before the people? I think God gave you the job for the people, not the paycheck. Again, if God is the provider, we just read in Malachi, God is like, hey, I want to bless you. Just let me bless you. In Malachi, he's essentially saying either you can be the provider or I can, but not both of us. You have to choose. Either you will carry the weight of provision for your life or you can let me carry it. And if you let me carry it, that means you do things to to show that and to remind your heart that God is your provider. It's the same thing in your workplace. We need to do things in our workplaces that show our hearts and remind us that God is our provider. And ultimately, here's what happens. When you love people in the workplace, you will be blessed. You will position yourself to be blessed by God and you will realize why you're there. And, and, and being in this position, you might hate your job or you might not be too excited about what you do for a living. When you start to love people right where you are, your job has a purpose. And all of a sudden, you know exactly why you're there. Next thing I want to talk about is incense. Now, when people would tithe, one of the things they would tithe were spices. And these spices were mixed together to create what was called incense. And if, if you don't know what incense is, just think like scentsy candles or something. I don't know if you're one of those people, like your house smells like evergreens and can- cranberries and things, you know, like my wife's totally into those things. So uh, incense, it's just a, it's, it's this, this mixture of spices that would be thrown onto a fire that would come out and it would create smoke and in this aroma that everybody would smell. And so for the people of Israel, God resided in the temple. And he would be in what was called the Holy of Holies. And every day, the priest, he would, he would come into the Holy of Holies with this, this little skillet. And it would have like hot coals on it. And he would put it up on the altar. And then he'd get handfuls of incense. And he would throw those handfuls of incense on the coals. And they would light up and create the smell and the smoke. Let me read this in Leviticus speaks to this exactly. Leviticus 16, verse 12 says, And he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small, and he shall bring it inside the veil. Okay, so he's talking about the priest. He's going to take the coals up to the altar and two handfuls of incense. What's the next word? 
beaten. Two handfuls of incense beaten small. So if you know anything about spices, if you've ever made your own homemade spices, what you know is that the raw ingredients don't have a whole lot of an aroma, do they? Like the raw ingredients, they don't smell like much. There's not much to them. But to make spices, you put them into what? The grinder. You put them into the grinder and you grind them up. You take the lid off and everybody can smell these beautiful spices. And and I just, I was thinking about this this week. It's so interesting that that's what it took to create this aroma. And when the the priest would throw the incense on the fire, it would fill the whole temple with this, this sweet aroma of incense. And it would go outside the walls and people who were passing by could smell this aroma. They could, they could even maybe see smoke coming out of the temple. And this all represented people who were honoring God with their lives. That's what this was about. So, to make incense, to create the aroma, what had to happen to the spices? They had to be beaten. They had to be ground up and beaten small. 2 Corinthians 2.15 says, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. So without the grind, without being beaten small, there is no aroma. So if we are the aroma of Christ to the world around us, I want you to write this down. When your problems aren't worth the paycheck, they do provide a platform. When your problems aren't worth the paycheck, they do provide a platform. I want you to know this. When your life is going well, people are watching you and, you know, they might learn some things or glean some things about Jesus from your life. But when your life's a mess and when your boss is being really hard on you, and when you don't get the promotion and when the project is just going wrong and, you know, maybe your marriage is struggling or things outside of work are going wrong, people are really watching you. And that's when people get the aroma of Christ. Some of you feel pretty beaten down by your jobs. Some of you feel pretty beaten down by life. But I want you to know this. Right where you are, you can be the aroma of Christ to the people around you. And in fact, the situation that you're in that you just want to get out of, Like, you just want freedom from this. You just want a different situation. You've been praying, God, get me out of here. You've been asking to get out of there, but God has been giving you a platform. And maybe there's a purpose for the situation that you're in. And maybe right where you are, somebody's watching, and they're learning things about Jesus from the way that you're dealing with your pain. So although your workplace and your paycheck may not, or your, 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 your workplace may not be worth the paycheck, it is providing you a platform to be the aroma of Christ to the world around you. And here's the thing, I want you to know, you are fully empowered to do this. Like Jesus, the Great Commission, just so you know, that was not just for the, for, for the, the, the holy people or the pastors, you know, or the priests, that was for everybody right where you are. First Peter calls you a holy nation and a royal priesthood. The Bible, when it speaks about all of you, you who are in Christ are called saints. You're all saints. You are ordained for ministry. I ordain you right now. I bless all of you. You are all priests and saints for the ministry of God right where you are. And you guys, our city needs you to know that. Our community needs Christians and believers who know who they are in Christ. Know that when Jesus says, all authority on earth and on heaven has been given to me, that because he has been given that authority, you have that authority too. 
You have all of that authority. Say amen to that, right? Come on. Amen, that's good. You have that authority. The authority of Christ is in you. And so you're a saint. You're a priest right where you are. So ACF Church, we have three services, but we have hundreds of locations. Every one of your workplaces, every one of your homes, wherever you go, you are the pastor. Your coworkers are your congregation, right? I mean, think about that. And the way that you live your life through the pain, that's your sermon. And you are preaching a sermon every single week, all week long with the way that you live. I just want you to know if you haven't had a lick of theology training and you decided to follow Jesus last week, you're a saint this week. And you are set apart for the mission of God. And he has empowered you and will give you everything you need. I don't think I finished out the Great Commission because he ends with a really important part. He says this, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, it's not on you to save people. You are simply a vessel for the aroma you're simply the, 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 the workmanship and the handiwork of God in your workplaces. So be used by him right where you are. So last thing I want to talk about is evangelism as we close out. Now, I don't know how you feel about evangelism. Like, I don't know if the word evangelism kind of offends you. Maybe you've seen evangelism done wrong. Like, when you think evangelism, you think of the guy on the street corner with a sign, you know, that either says you're going to hell or Jesus loves you. Um, maybe you think of only street witnessing, which can be effective. Some of you maybe have been saved through somebody who just came up to you on the street and, and told you about Jesus, but it's so much more than that. I want you to know. It's so much more than that. It's actually living the gospel in your workplace is evangelistic. I mean, that's really where I think the, the, the work is going to happen in our city. I, I ran across a statistic this week that said 43% of people in the U.S. are unchurched. So we say as a church, we are here to, to amplify the grace of Jesus to the churched and the unchurched and the dechurched. 43% of people in our community are unchurched. That means like if you start talking to them about like Noah's Ark and David and Goliath and things like that, maybe you've met people like that. The Bible stories that maybe you grew up with, people are like, I don't know what you're talking about. No idea. And so then there's a whole nother per percentage of people who are de-churched or who are in other religions at this point. We have a mission field right where we live, you guys. So I don't want to minimize global missions. I want to amplify the value of local mission, of what can happen right in your workplaces, right where you are. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Now listen to this. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, Christians. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, interesting, it doesn't say if you are slandered. It says, when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Essentially, he's saying those who revile you, because you live for Christ and you live an honorable life, they will realize that he is real. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So write this down. We don't work for the paycheck, we work for the question. We don't work for the paycheck. We work for the question. You work for the moment that your coworkers like, hey, tell me how you just made it through that terrible situation. Tell me how you keep your patience with your boss. 
Tell me how you made it through that thing with your wife or with your husband. Like, tell me about that. You guys, that is payday. Like, that's, that is when you're tearing open the envelope. Like, this is it. Somebody's getting it. It's when you realize that the, the Spirit of God is at work in the hearts of people all around us. It's not your job to save them but it's your job to make disciples who are watching you so that when the Spirit of God perks their interest, they know who to talk to, and it's you. You don't have to bring them to your pastor, to some trained holy man. You are the holy man or woman set apart for the work of God. You're like, Brian, I don't feel holy. Well, that's what Jesus is for, right? He has made you holy. He is with you to the end of the age. We don't work for the paycheck. We work for the question. So a while back, I was struggling with this. Um, like I told you, it's really easy to make excuses as a pastor and say, well, that's everybody else's job uh, to go and make disciples. You know, I hang out with Christian people a lot. And so uh, we decided to join this, this jeeping club uh, just to get our family out rubbing shoulders with people. You guys, churches can start all kinds of programs and things, but do you realize there's stuff happening in our city already? Like there are platforms for you to go and be a part of to, to live a missional lifestyle style, right? in our city. And so we joined this club and, and uh, we decided to go out on these trail runs. And so on these runs, people would bring their families and they'd, you know, bring their meals and you just hang out getting to know each other. And so over time, we got to know this one guy. Uh, his name is Chris. And so Chris and I, we just kind of really hit it off and, and uh, we were building a relationship, kind of getting to know each other. But the, talk, the talks that we had were pretty shallow up to this point. And so Chris and I, like, we, we kind of got to know each other. Then one day, after about four months of being in this group, it's like 9.30 at night, and my wife and I are just getting ready for bed, and we're, we're wrapping things up. And I hear this knock on the door. And I'm, I go over to the door and open the door, and, and there is Chris. And, and he's got, like, a Bud Light in his hand and, and a 12-pack of Bud down to, down to a six-pack of Bud in his other hand. And he's like, hey, man. And I'm like, Hey. He's like, can I come in? And I look outside and there's like no car in the driveway. And I was like, dude, how did you get here? And he's like, I walked. And, and I didn't even know he knew where I lived, but I knew where he lived and it was two miles away. He'd walked, which is good for all the drivers on the road, right? It's like, good thing he walked. So he had walked to my house. And so I was like, yeah, come on in. So we go to the kitchen table. We sit down at the kitchen table. And we get talking and he's like, he's like, hey, Brian, I just... He goes, I've been watching you. And I was like, well, that's weird. Um, and and he's, like, he's like, I've been watching how you, just how you and your wife interact and how you live. And he's like, I've been watching you. And he's like, here's the deal. My whole family, they're all Christians. And uh, they hate each other. They're terrible to each other. He's like, I, I want nothing to do with my family because they're Christians. And they, they say one thing, they do another thing. And, and I don't know what was going on in, in his family or these people, whether they knew Jesus or they didn't. But in his mind, Christianity just meant you hate people. It means you criticize people. It means you are just ruthless with people. And he looked at me and my wife and he goes, you know what? You're the only two Christians I've ever met that actually act like Christians. 
And I'm thinking, dude, you didn't see what happened in my house an hour ago. Like, you don't know the struggle behind the scenes. Like, you have no idea. But there was something about the way that we interacted just on the trail as a family and going out to dinner together in just the short time that we spent together that on a night that he's drinking and just thinking about spiritual things and who is God, he walks two miles to my house to sit down with me and have a beer to ask me about Jesus. That was payday. It was payday. And I was able just in that conversation to try to take his eyes a little bit off of his family and, and even off of us and try to help him see who Jesus was. I want you to know this today. I don't know if you have a problem with the church. I don't know if you have a problem with Christianity or with this book, but you have to figure out what you think about Jesus. When Jesus says all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me, I want you to know that's why we believe what we believe because he is risen. He's alive. And the resurrection is the hinge by which everything else functions in the church. We hinge everything on the fact that Jesus didn't just die. Our God is alive and we live for him today. So here's what I want you to do. Um, Pull out your smartphone if you have it. I want to do something together. For the next 21 days, we as a church are going to be on mission together. So why don't you pull out your phone, and, and if you haven't gotten to be a part of our text updates, I want you to text the word DEVO, D-E-V-O, to the number 40650. That's D-E-V-O to 40650. If you're online, you can join with us in this as well. It'll come right to your phone. But for the next 21 days, we're going to send out a text. And in that text is going to be a simple way that you at your workplace or at your home or wherever you're at, that you can live a life on mission. And so some of these things you're gonna think, well, duh, that's simple, but I should actually do that, right? It's just a simple way. And I'm just thinking, what if all of us, not the trained professionals, but everybody in our church, including myself, are living this week intentionally, being the aroma of Christ to those who are dying? in the world around us. What if we did that? Think of the movement of the kingdom that we would see. So I'm so excited to do this together. I, I pray that you would do more than read the text, that you'd actually do it. My prayers, we've talked about this today, that you don't just leave here convicted, like, man, I, I feel really bad, that you would actually be motivated to action. It's not enough to leave church today feeling bad about yourself. That's not what Jesus wants. He wants, to, he wants conviction to result in action. So my prayer for us today is that we would leave here with one thing that we need to do to make sure that our places are the primary mission fields of our lives. I believe that the workplace is the number one untapped mission field in the U.S. Every day you go out on mission. Let's do it together. Let me pray for us. God, thanks so much for your church. And God, that you have invited us to be part of your work. We know, God, that you could call the world to yourself on your own, apart from us. But yet, God, you've invited us in to be part of your mission so that you could bless us with an opportunity to see somebody get it for the first time. So God, would you redefine payday for us in our hearts? Could could we be willing to give up some of our goals and some of our productivity to love the people that you've given us could we rise above all of the struggle and see it as a platform to present the gospel? 
I pray for everybody in this room right now, God, we could all have at least one person on our minds that we know, God, you have placed in our lives for a reason. And God, can we live lives on purpose tomorrow? Showing the love of Jesus to people. And then if given the need and the opportunity, explaining to them, God, why we have the hope that we do. So God, as we worship here in the next few moments, I pray there'd be some peace in our hearts. I pray we could let some things go. I pray we could surrender to you completely and set us up for a week of seeing lives be transformed by the work of your gospel. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.